0: We begin a new series today, my friends, and I'm inviting you then to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verses 10 through 14 only this morning. We have said that this is the year of... 2016 has been the year where we've been giving our attention to the gospel, the sharing of the gospel, evangelism, and discipleship. We just recently, last week, finished a series on the book of Jonah and our need to reach our Nineveh around us. I want to do a two-sermon series uh, today and next week that really has absolutely nothing to do with evangelism and discipleship, but it has everything to do with this. What would happen if we actually did do what God has called us to do, what we have been studying? What can we expect from the evil one if we are obedient children of God doing what He commands us to do? Well, we can expect persecution. Yippee! Here we go. We can expect that there will be those that will be against us. So today, my friends, looking at this passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, I want us to think about the persecution that that might be ours as individuals. And then next week, I want us to look at another passage, the persecution that we might expect as the body of Christ, the church. So today, from the perspective of the individual... And then next week, the perspective of the church of the Lord Jesus. Let's give our full attention then to God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 10. Hear now the word of God. You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and what do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands. Our Father, your word does and will endure forever, stand forever. And you speak to us through that word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we would ask, O Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes now to behold wonderful things from this portion of your glorious word that even in the midst of our persecution and our spiritual warfare we might be reminded that you have rescued us and that we might be convinced again afresh of what it is that you promise us in your word. Do these things for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. If I shared the name Geraldine Jones, would you know who that is? Geraldine Jones. If you're if you were alive in the early '70s, uh, you probably remember Geraldine Jones. This was, she was the figure that Flip Wilson used to pay, play on his variety show, where he coined the phrase, "The Devil Made Me Do It." You remember that? I didn't want to buy that dress, but the devil made me do it. Every week, we used to watch that as a, a young kid. I remember watching that with my parents, and we always got a laugh on how he was going to somehow swing in that phrase that the devil made me do it. I, and we've even been guilty, I think, from time to time, friends, of using that uh, as our excuse to continue in our sin. Well, I didn't really do that, but the devil made me do that. How about if I used this name? Frank Peretti, would you know that name? Frank Peretti was uh, became famous in the late 80s basically for two of several books that he wrote but this present dar- darkness and piercing the darkness and those books were all about uh, spiritual warfare in the small town of Ashton between Christians and non-Christians and each chapter usually left us kind of on a cliff, uh, on a cliffhanger, because there was a little bitty demon up in that corner and a little bitty angel in that corner and they were about to swoop down in spiritual conflict uh, and handle the battles for us. And many people read those books as if that really was the gospel, if really that's how things happened. There was a picture of spiritual warfare. I want us to think about spiritual warfare and persecution today. But before we do, my friends, I think there are some aspects that we need to be sure that we agree on, that we start with, that we uh, we come from, our presupposition, so to speak. One is this. I think we give the evil one too little credit and we don't give him enough care or attention from time to time. We give him uh, too much credit, from, not too little, too much credit from time to time uh, because we think that he is mostly like God that he's omnipotent, that he's omniscient, that he's uh, all things, all knowing, all powerful, and all present, and that is simply not the truth. He doesn't have any of the omnis, so let's don't give him credit for any of those omnis. Many times we give him too much credit thinking uh, that he is everywhere and doing everything. Now, he does have his own minions that are fighting his battle with them, but if the devil is over... Over there, then he's not over here because he can't be in all places at all times. But that said, sometimes we don't give him enough concern. Sometimes we think that uh, the spiritual warfare is really something that doesn't happen. Persecution, uh, I think, we would define as just only the suffering in our life. Uh, instead of the, the, the devil is actually making making us live and endure these things that we are enduring and living. So. Sometimes we give him too little concern, and we need to, because the scriptures clearly tell us that his delight, his job, if you will, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he wants to do, and that's what his followers want to do as well. So I think we need to begin there. We need to give... Uh, we need to, don't, don't give him all credit, but do give him some concern. Secondly... I think I want you you to understand this too. Sometimes when we think of cosmic conflict, we we think of it like this. We think that that it is God and the devil that are fighting this cosmic battle of of spiritual warfare. And friends, that is not the case. The devil is a created being, Lucifer. His cohort, so to speak, his his antithesis would be the, the angel Michael, not God... God is the creator of all things. He is the creator of even all of the created beings. So it's not this cosmic battle where they're on the same plane, God and Satan. Satan is underneath the authority, the super, or the, the power of God himself. He's on the, Michael is fighting the spiritual battle, uh, the, 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 the angelic battle, and Lucifer is fighting the, the, the non-angelic, non-spiritual battle. So we have to understand that it's not, it's not like this. It's like this. Thirdly, I think we need to understand this. If the devil is not a threat to you that it perhaps is that you are not living the godly life that he has commanded you to live. This passage that's before us, Paul is telling Timothy, if you live a godly life, you will be persecuted. Now, that doesn't sound like very good news, but it is actually great news because he doesn't leave us there. The Apostle Paul also reminded Timothy and reminds us as well in the middle of of our text, yet... Or but, that little conjunction there. The Lord himself has rescued me, will rescue me. He will never allow the persecution to endure or to overcome me. He gives us the promise, dear friends, that while he is a threat, while we have to endure the spiritual warfare and the suffering that we are living in our individual lives, he is a God who sticks closer than a brother He who began a good work in you will see it to the day of completion. I will never leave you or forsake you, even in the midst of your suffering and your pain. God has not abandoned you, loved ones. He has not abandoned you, but he is making his promise real to you through his word. And that word simply says this, you continue in what you know to be true press on in how he has given us clear direction in his word and fight the good fight. Paul begins with an example of himself. I want us to think about this. Paul says, you know my teaching, my way, my life, my purpose, my faith, all of these things. He's telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, look at me, and then you just do what I do. Now, how can, Paul, how can Paul say this if we go back? Look, look, turn back to Acts chapter 7. Let's get a picture of who Paul is. Paul, actually, the Bible tells us, is a persecutor of Christians. All of chapter 7, when the first deacon, Stephen, is being stoned, right? And at the very end of chapter 7, in the beginning of chapter 9, we read at the end of 7 this, and Saul, whose name later was changed to Paul the author of the text that we're looking at this morning. And Saul was there giving approval to his death, giving approval to Stephen's death. Stone him, kill him. He says the same thing in verse 3 of chapter 8. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged men off and women as well, and he threw them into prison. And then look at chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. To the point then that after he was converted on the road to Damascus, which we read in chapter 9, those saying about him would say this chapter 9, verse 21. He's preaching that Jesus is the God, the the way, and those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man that once raised havoc in Jerusalem? So here's my point. Paul began his journey as a persecutor of the church, but what happened to him? Why is it that he can say what he says now to young Timothy here in chapter 2? Only this... In chapter 9 of the book of Acts, we read about a radical conversion of Paul from Tarshish. Here is where we begin when we, have, when we have this understanding through the word that we are called to live a godly life, knowing that we will be persecuted, that we are to be continued to, continue to be convinced of what it is that we have learned from the scriptures. It must begin, my friends, number one, with radical conversion. If you have not been converted to Christ, if you have not been converted by this gospel of grace, then persecution will come and it will devour you. You will be unable to stand up against it without the the very one who promises us that he will rescue us from it. So the ability to continue living the godly life must begin with conversion. And Paul's was a radical conversion. The persecutor becomes persecuted. That's what we find. Because look at what he says to Timothy there. You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions. What is Paul doing? Is he focusing on himself? Is he boasting about himself with the the continued use of this word my? Look at me, look at me, look at me. Is he boasting about himself? Absolutely not, friends. What he is boasting is, is that the gospel would change me in such a way. I used to be like this. I'm the chief of sinners, he told Timothy as well. But for this very reason, God poured out his mercy on me. So even though he uses the word my there he's really saying I have completely changed because of this radical conversion that has been lavished on me in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What would make Paul then from persecutor to persecuted get up every morning? The only thing that got our our brother up every morning was knowing that Jesus Christ was his savior who rescued him from darkness and gave him life eternal abundant and free and he wanted everybody else that he came in contact with to know that Jesus as well that's what got him up in the morning I want to introduce you to the one who rescued me from darkness Turn back with me then to Acts chapter 13 and 14. We read about Paul in these places that he identifies for us in uh, 2 Timothy when he says the persecution that I endured in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, we read about them in Acts 13 and 14. In Acts 13 verse 49, he's in the, the, the first place, he's in Antioch. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but Jews incited God-fearing women of high standing and leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. So we read about his persecution in Antioch. Chapter 14 begins the persecution in Iconium. Look at verse 5. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and to stone them. And then later in Lystra, in verse 19 of chapter 14, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over and they stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city, leaving him for dead. He endured from persecutor. He now was persecuted. But he was willing to put himself under that persecution knowing that a savior had died for him and rescued him. So number 1 living a godly life begin must begin if we are going to endure individual persecution it must begin number 1 you must be converted to Christ and then number 2 it will come Anyone who wants to live a godly life Paul says in verse 12 will be persecuted It's coming friends if it's not uh, uh, something that you're experiencing now Get ready, it's coming, but it doesn't come apart from this promise. And that promise is that he has and will continue to rescue us from it. He who began a good work in us will see it to the day of completion. Augustine said this, listen to this wonderful quote. Even when no one molests or vexes your body, you suffer persecution, not in the body, but in your heart. Persecution can come physically, but many of us are probably not experiencing the threat of being stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. But who among us cannot say that we're not being, that we're not being persecuted spiritually? That inside my life is so dark, there is so much despair, that I am left wondering why God Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? And then from that, I began to doubt the very promise that God gives to me. If he says he's going to rescue me, then then get me out of this mess. Why is this happening to me? It leads us to doubt, which then eventually, friends, leads us to say, what the heck? I'm not doing this anymore. I quit. I give up. He says he's going to promise, he promises to rescue me, and and it's not getting any easier. Every day I get up and I fight this spiritual battle, and the evil one continues to win over and over and over again. So I'm in despair. I'm filled with doubt. I'm angry at him from time to time, screaming, Why? To the very point that I say, This Christianity stuff can't work. It can't be true. Does that define you, beloved? It sure does me. Over and over and over again. And yet I must come back. This same author who wrote this to young Timothy wrote this passage as well from Romans chapter 8 verse 29. He predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. He predestined us to endure this battle, this spiritual warfare, this persecution, that we might become transformed by this gospel more into the likeness of Jesus the Christ. While we're enduring it, we continue to live this godly life because we desire to look more like Jesus. That's our call, and in doing so, He reminds us, you're in the hand of Christ, in the hand of God, doubly joined forever and ever. We need one another. That's what Paul is saying. Look to me, Timothy. I know you're being persecuted. I know you're fighting this spiritual warfare. But look to me. Look how I endured. Look how he sealed to to my mind and to my heart that I was rescued from all of these things. And then let that be your gospel as well. Let that be your hope as well. Let that be... Seal to your mind what you're convinced of that Jesus will do it for you too. Now, if there was any question at all that Paul was boasting in himself, bragging about himself, then this last part of our verse, verses 12 through 14, he seals to our understanding as he did to Timothy that that is not the case. If anyone wants to live a godly life, He will be persecuted. He then moves on to say, here's what God promises to do and here's what God promises to say to you as well. He begins with what God does. What does he do? Yet the Lord rescued me. The Lord rescues us. Friends, this is the clear and untarnished gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He rescues us From darkness and lifts us into his marvelous light. He saved us. That's what he does. He gives us the gift of salvation. Conversion is the work of God himself by the power of the Holy Spirit to seal to your mind that you have been rescued from death and now given the gift of life. Didn't Jesus do the same thing? After his baptism, After his baptism, what did he do? He went out into the wilderness, and what happened? Spiritual warfare. He was tempted by the devil himself. But what did Jesus do? WWJD, what did he do? He endured and he lived. Now you could say, well, of course he's the son of God. But he was incarnate as a human, as a man. And he fought against the evil one. He lived the godly life with the certainty of knowing that he had been rescued. Even coming to do the will of his heavenly father, going to take the sins of his people in his body, on his shoulders, he had been rescued already in his mind. He rescues us. That's what he does in the midst of your persecution and spiritual warfare, if you are a converted child of the king and you are being persecuted, friends, you must know that not only are you being persecuted, as real as that is, but you have been rescued and will be for eternity. And that's what he now says. He does something. He rescues us. And now he says that to us over and over and over again as we read his word, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and now have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures. Here's God speaking to you today in the midst of your suffering and in your persecution, where do you need to go? You need to go right here. Because your heavenly father who has rescued you from darkness is speaking his hope, his promise in times of doubt, in times of fear, in times of anger, in times of despair when you're just ready to give up. Run to the word. And from that word, what you have now become convinced of by the work of the spirit, he will speak his promises to you over and over and over again. You may not have known Geraldine Jones, or you may have. You may not have known Frank Peretti, but no doubt you probably know the name Corey Tinboom. I've got a wonderful quote I want to share with you as we end, as we think about this persecution that we are enduring. She and her father, this story that I'll read to you here in just a second, she and her father in a conversation about. The persecution of life, the pain of life, the struggling through pain. She recalled it and she wrote it and here it is. My father stood up. He lifted his travel case off of the floor and then he set it back down on the floor. Will you carry it off the train, Corey? he asked. I stood up and I tugged at it. It was crammed full of all the watches and the spare parts that he had purchased earlier that morning. It's too heavy, I said. Yes, her father replied. And it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load in the same way, it is the same way with our Heavenly Father, Corey. Your Heavenly Father has not given you the load to carry. Even as heavy as you think that it is and as real as it is, He is carrying that load for you, beloved. Because you are his child. He knows what is best for you. He knows and he tells you that over and over and over again in his word. He seals the promise of the gospel. He has never left you and he never will. Whatever heavy load it is that you're carrying today, Be reminded as you are enduring it that we are called to live this gospel, to live this godly life because he has rescued us from darkness and speaks his promise of keeping us and giving us the ability, empowering us to live this gospel all the way to the very end. Let's do it for the glory of our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Father in heaven, we thank you that you, that you are our God and that we are your people. We thank you, Lord, for this salvation that you have given to us. And how often, Lord, in times of difficulty and in trouble and persecution and warfare, how often we doubt that gospel. Would you seal it to us yet again, Father? Remind us, of the beauty of your grace and mercy. Remind us that we who were persecutors now have become persecuted, but it's not apart from what it is that you promised to give us by the work of your glorious gospel of grace. So seal it to our minds today. Let us continue to become convinced of it over and over and over again. Do that, please, Father, we pray for Jesus sake amen friends let's